I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric at home of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. Lance Meadow is back again for Opposition Wednesday. Lance, how are you? I'm doing very well, Doug. How's everything with you? We're doing good. Thanks for coming back again. For those that didn't listen to the last time we had Lance on, he does great work on the pre- and post-game show for the Giants. Also does some work for SiriusXM Radio. Uh, If I'm right, Lance, you said last time you guys are back at the facility, but in separate ends of the building. Is that right? Well, we are operational within the facility, but the majority of us are pretty much externally located outside of the facility when we do our shows. So it's really a balancing act, as most NFL teams are dealing with right now. Okay. Uh, Washington will have some folks in the stands this week. Will you guys be coming down or you'll still be doing remotely? We'll still be doing everything remotely. I'll actually be located in our New York City studios, WFAN, running and steering the ship in terms of the pre-half and post-game. And is, is fall setting upon the city? Is it getting cold up there now? It's changing a tad. I mean, I still think we're getting temperatures in the high 50s, early 60s. But the other day we went down to the 40s. So like anything else, Mother Nature's got a mind of her own when it comes to the New York City metropolitan area. But I would say that there's definitely some signals of the weather changing. No doubt about it. Lance, correct me if I'm wrong from the outside looking in. I thought you guys played a pretty good game Monday night. What did you think? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I don't think many people thought that the game would be ultra competitive down the stretch. I mean, granted, the Giants have played a lot of close games, Doug. Their last five games have been decided by one possession. So I don't think it was stunning to see them give Tampa Bay a run for their money. But it was a fact of whether or not would Tampa Bay be able to pull away late. And they did build an eight-point lead, but the Giants kept fighting back. I thought Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, had a really good game plan against Tom Brady and company. He mixed and matched personnel. They were able to apply some pressure in the coverage. It was pretty good on the back end, which gave the guys in the front an opportunity to get after Tom Brady. From an offensive standpoint, clearly there's still mixed results. The turnover bug is absolutely plaguing this team. Daniel Jones had two interceptions, and Tampa Bay cashed that in for 10 points. But Jason Garrett's play calling, I thought, really showcased some creativity. They took some shots down the field. So, All in all, it was certainly a step in the right direction for the Giants. But, Doug, like anything else, we've been talking about that with respect to the Giants week in and week out. And you don't get brownie points in the NFL, as you well know, for playing close games. You have to finish. And that's right now the missing ingredient. Uh, No doubt about that. I'm curious. I can remember back to last year at the end of the season, they put Josh Norman out there for Washington. He gives up the touchdown in the back corner of the end zone. And it was the Chase Young Bowl for all accounts. Is the fan base moved in New York towards a tanking mode at one win? How how do you find that working in the city right now? Well, it's funny you bring that up because I think a big part of the Giants fan base right now is having the debate over whether or not Daniel Jones is the future quarterback. That's really what the bulk of the conversation has been. I host a number of talk shows, so I'm constantly interacting with fans and In their mind, the jury is still out. I think it's a bit of a stretch. It's a bit ridiculous, Doug, because Daniel Jones, remember, only played in 12 games last year. Eli played in four because Eli took over Daniel Jones when he suffered the ankle injury late in the season. So the first few games was his completion of his rookie season, 
And now he's sort of delving into year number two, which as we've seen with a lot of quarterbacks is still an adjustment period because they have more film on you. And number two, he's also learning his third offense in the span of three years. No way is that an excuse. He's got to clean up the turnovers. That goes without saying, but still a very small sample size to start talking about perhaps going in a different direction with respect to the quarterback. As far as you know, your main question about do the Giants fan base feel as if they want to tank? I mean, I think right now they're always anxious to get the highest draft pick, especially when they look at the landscape of being one in seven, eight games into the season. But I will tell you this, Joe Judge is revamping the feel of this team. He's got a young roster. He's trying to establish himself as a head coach. Nobody within that coaching staff, nobody within that organization is talking anything about tanking. They want to continue to put the building blocks in place to show improvement from an individual standpoint, as well as from a team standpoint. So Giants fans could be wishing that, Doug, but at the end of the day, they're going to go out, they're going to fight hard. Plus, nobody's running away with the division. And you know, you win a few games in the division. Who cares if you're below 500? You're still very well in the mix. So for all those factors, when you take that into consideration, tanking to me is nowhere in the conversation, at least internally, as far as the Giants are concerned. Lance, you mentioned excuses. The old adage goes, reasons aren't excuses and excuses aren't reasons. Um, how do you think that Gettleman still fits in? Are they Will they be moving on? I, I know people have been talking about the New England uh, with Joe Judge and Casario. Do you think that seems realistic or Gettleman's got more time left? Well, here's the way that I look at it, Doug, and it's always an interesting question. How many more years are the Giants going to continue to play the game of musical chairs, as I like to call it? And what I mean is Joe Judge is their third head coach in the span of a very short period of time. Because remember, they had Ben McAdoo replace Tom Coughlin. He only lasted two years, not even technically, because he was let go at the tail end of 2017. Then you brought in Pat Shermer. He lasted two years. Okay, now you've hired Joe Judge. But you brought in Joe Judge with Dave Gettleman as your general manager. You now are saying one year into Joe Judge's tenure to go the route of bringing in a new GM who may have a completely different philosophy and may not necessarily see eye to eye with the head coach after a short period of time. Now you're back to square one. I just I don't understand how that would benefit the Giants. Look at the Steelers. Look at the Patriots who you brought up, the Seahawks. What's the common trait, Doug, between all of those teams? They've got continuity with the head coach and the general sure. manager. Now, granted, they've won games. Don't get me wrong, okay? That's a big reason why there's job security. But no team that you could point to, the Browns, the Jets, have had any sense of success by having this revolving door of a coach in for two years, a GM in, and then you switch. Here's the other thing to take into consideration. When you look at what they brought in this offseason, they brought in Blake Martinez and James Bradbury in free agency. I think, Doug, both of those moves have been very solid. I mean, those two guys have been responsible yes. for impressive play on the defensive end. Then you look at the offensive line. Well, Matt Parrott, who is starting to get more playing time at right tackle, he was a rookie. They just inserted Shane Lemieux because Will Hernandez, unfortunately, was put on the COVID reserve list. And, yes, Andrew Thomas has had his ups and downs. I think he's probably coming off his best game against the Bucs. So the jury is still out when you're trying to rebuild the offensive line. All those guys were just drafted this year. Who knows how they're going to pan out? The bottom line is, I think based on the moves Dave Gettleman has made, he deserves more time and more leeway in terms of what he's trying to put together in conjunction with a coach who's only in year one implementing new schemes. 
GM talk slides us right into trade deadline rumors. Were the G-men active at all in your mind? Well, it's funny you brought that up because Joe Judge was pressed upon this issue the other day during his press conference, and he flat out admitted, he said, hey, we got phone calls, but we were fielding them much more so than we were aggressively picking up the phone and looking to make a trade. Now, it's understandable because when a team is one in seven, other teams are going to come calling and see if they want to part ways with pieces. But you know, Evan Ingram, who's been tied to some trade rumors, they picked up his option, Doug, before the season started. So they technically still have a year of him under their control. Kevin Zeitler was also rumored. He's another guy that is still under contract. It's one thing to part ways with Marcus Golden, who they did trade away. But Golden was a free agent. So the philosophy there is if you're not going to bring him back, you might as well get something in return. And his playing time fluctuated a lot. It was nowhere near where it was last season when he led the team in sacks. So I think from the Giants perspective, practical to part ways with a guy who you're probably not going to bring back or there's no guarantee. Some of these other players, if the new coaching staff feels, hey, these are guys we can use. These are guys we could build upon. It's counterproductive to then ship them out of town, especially if you still had a year or two left on the contract. So I think that was the Giants' mindset. You do your due diligence. You listen. If somebody blows you away, okay, hey, that changes the conversation. But I don't think they ever had the itchy finger on the trigger to say, we've got to get rid of these guys because we're one in seven. And that turned out to be true based on them not making any moves. Lance, it's interesting because when they asked Rivera this week, uh, much the same, it sounded a whole lot like you're talking about there, which makes sense because the two of them came from the same place. Uh, Rivera said that they just don't make trades without years left of uh, a team team deal left on it. Uh, yeah, short week this week. What does the injury report look like? Well, they're going to have a later practice today, so there isn't any official injury report that has been released at the time in which we're recording this. I will say this. The Giants came out of the Monday night game in very good shape, Doug. Nobody got banged up. Nobody was sidelined. I think the only injury to monitor entering the Washington game from the Giants' perspective is Devontae Freeman has been nursing an ankle injury. He did not play Monday night. They brought up Alfred Morris who is certainly a familiar name to Washington fans because that's where he started his career. And he played a pretty notable role. Remember, he played for Jason Garrett in Dallas. So if Freeman can't come back, they're going to go with Wayne Goldman and Alfred Morris. And I don't think that dramatically changes the dynamics of their rushing attack because it all is going to fall on the offensive line. So that's probably one injury to note. They were also down Ryan Lewis, who had started the last few games opposite James Bradbury. He had a hamstring issue that, came out of nowhere really on the Saturday before the game and they downgraded him to doubtful. He didn't play. So Isaac Yadam took over and he had started previously, but let's be honest, Doug, it's been a revolving door opposite James Bradbury. So every game you go into really not knowing who's going to get the bulk of the snaps at the other cornerback position. So Patrick Graham's probably going to rotate once again, outside of those two, There's really no other injuries to note. Will Hernandez, the starting left guard, is still on the COVID-19 reserve list. And I would assume, unless things drastically change because of limited practice time, Shane Lemieux, the rookie who started, as I mentioned, Monday night against the Bucs, who had a very good performance and I think was solid for somebody that was just thrown into the fire, is in all likelihood probably going to start again. So the Giants are probably looking at three rookies being heavily involved in the trenches against Washington's defensive front. 
Oregon, uh, Oregon for Lemieux. Correct. Right? Yes, he was a fifth round pick out of Oregon, and he started was... fifty two consecutive games at left guard. So that's the exact position that he has a great deal of familiarity with. Yeah, I was a big fan of his. Uh, I was doing a little bit of my research, uh, Lance, for our interview today. Uh, that's three rookies starting on the offensive line there on Sunday. That's right. Uh, Isaiah Thomas got back out of the doghouse and played, yes. didn't he? Andrew, yes, Andrew Thomas. If Isaiah Thomas played football, that'd be pretty impressive, especially if he played in his yeah, yeah. career. But yes, it's uh, Andrew <laughs> Thomas, Shane Lemieux, then at left guard next to Thomas at tackle, and then Matt Hare, the third-round pick out of UConn, what they've been doing, Doug, is Cam Fleming's still the starter, but they're trying to get the rookies as much reps and as much playing time as possible. So what we see during the course of games is they'll give a series to Matt Hare. It's almost a rotational type of feel going on at right tackle. So I look at it as almost joint starters where Fleming will play a little, Parrott will play a little. So you have to be prepared for both if you're Washington, as I'm sure Ron Rivera and the coaching staff have picked up on film. Sooner or later, though, that's Parrott's job, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I think it's trending in that direction. And this goes back to the question you posed in terms of the trade deadline. Fleming is one of those guys they brought in. They gave him a one-year contract, and that's it. So he's scheduled to be a free agent after this season. So when you see the writing on the wall, not to say that there's not a chance they maybe re-sign Fleming. As you well know, you can never have enough depth. But the goal is, I think, for Andrew Thomas and Matt Pair to be the bookends at tackle. And as long as Pair continues to hold up and make strides, and he certainly has brought about some positive early results, I think in all likelihood he's going to be the guy taking over on a permanent basis on the right side starting next season. Lance, Jason Garrett has had a lot of success with tight ends in the past. They still have had a hard time getting Evan Ingram going. What's going on there? Yeah, Jason Garrett has not only had a great tracker with tight ends, but the tight ends that have come back to bite the Giants, too. <laughs> Year in and year out, it seems. That's been their one Achilles heel. It hasn't killed them or haunted them too much this season. Evan Ingram has been very up and down. There's been those positive flashes, for example, the second half in the Bears game where he really provided a spark. and. He was up there in terms of catches Monday night against the Bucs. He had five to go along with Darius Slayton, and he was heavily involved in the game plan and helped move the chains. But there's been those other games where the blocking hasn't necessarily been where they've wanted it. And Evan Engram's never really been known for his blocking, and he's had the case of the dropsies. And I could point to other games throughout the season where that has come to light. But, you know, they look at him, with all that being said, as still a critical weapon. I, I mentioned earlier that Jason Garrett was very creative in terms of the play calling. They're trying to get him involved out of the backfield. They've given him some running plays. They used them on special teams where they ran a fake field goal, and it did result in a touchdown. The problem is they jumped too early and had it wiped off the board against the Cowboys. So from the outside, the court of public opinion, Doug, absolutely there's been mixed results and I don't think that's a stretch, but internally I still think they have a great deal of confidence in what he can bring to the table. They look at him as a versatile weapon, somebody that's got speed who can be utilized as a wide receiver. And when you get Evan off the edge, you know, all bets are off if you don't have the ideal matchup. So they're going to continue to toy. They're going to continue to dig deep into the archives and the, playbook to try to get him involved despite perhaps the fact that they're still looking for that game where he brings it all together not to get off on a tangent but I remember week three last year against the Bucs and the reason why I'm bringing that up is they just played Tampa Bay 
he had big play after big play. He had a long touchdown right out of halftime. And, you know, we've seen those plays. I've seen it game in and game out. It's just we haven't seen the completeness of his game at all in any specific contest this year. But they've got a lot of patience, and they feel like he has a lot of upside. So I don't think anything's going to change drastically in terms of them still trying to get him the football. How many years of team control do they have left with well, him? Well, he was a first-round pick in 2017, and as I mentioned, they picked up his fifth-year option. So he already played out. 2020 okay. would be year four. 2021 is year five. So they got one more year with him at their control. I'd assume that he is one of the guys they fielded calls on. Yeah, I certainly think that they probably listened to some offers. Joe Judge wasn't specific, but you figure, given the fact that I'm sure a lot of teams realized, okay, maybe the Giants are not necessarily thinking about giving him a lucrative deal. There's flexibility in terms of the option they picked up based on the new CBA. I don't think it's a stretch to think that other teams came calling because of, once again, his versatility. And if you're the team, Doug, and you've got a good blocking tight end, Evan Ingram's the perfect guy to have as your receiving tight end. And we see a lot of double tight end formations in the NFL, whether it be the Eagles with Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. You know, Washington certainly had some options, but they've been plagued by the injury bug and the Dallas Cowboys. This division is full of double tight end formations, or at least coaching staffs having the ability to do that. So without speculating, I don't think it's crazy to think that other teams showed interest. But I once again, I think Jason Garrett and that offensive staff, as well as Joe Judge, they look at him as a guy to say, hey, he's been involved in a variety of offenses thus far. Remember, he was here for multiple coaching staffs, going back to Ben McAdoo, Pat Shermer, now Joe Judge. And they feel we can't all of a sudden give up on him, especially when he's still on a rookie contract. And I think that philosophy makes sense. It's not as if he's denting the salary cap. And you know, with the cap potentially going down next year, if you have good value guys, why not try to talk, try to maximize that for at least another year? I think that's their philosophy. And to your point, you just can't replace tight ends that sure. can do what he does. I think I've seen more tight end screens this year <laughs> than I've ever seen before. And that's one of those guys that's perfect for that kind of thing. Regrets is a tough business to be in, but do you think the team at all regrets moving on from Odell Beckham Jr.? I don't know about that because with Odell, there was a lot that went on behind the scenes in terms of you know him not necessarily being a guy that's going to make the ultimate sacrifice for the team. And I think that from a cultural standpoint, they believed it was best to move on from him. Here's the other thing. And I've brought this up time and time again. Odell is a tremendous talent. I'll be the last person to debate that. And I think that people who are saying that Baker Mayfield's better off when he's not on the field, I think that's a stretch too. Because Odell changes how defenses defend the quarterback and overall the offense. And we saw that with the Giants. Because when Odell was off the field in 2017, when he went down with the ankle injury, I mean, defenses were saying to themselves, okay, you know, now we're going to force Eli to beat us. And we're going to force the other wide receivers to beat us. And we're not going to stress out. So, you know, that goes without saying. But they also weren't winning a lot of games, Doug, when Odell was healthy on the field. And I think that's where the narrative is missing. And especially with Giants fans. If you were to show me that when Odell was here, he was so much of a difference maker that despite their defensive shortcomings, despite the fact that they didn't have much semblance of a rushing attack, that they were winning games, then I would argue, yeah, you do everything in your power to retain the services of Odell Beckham and you try to build around him. But the bottom line is they were a sub-500 team 
with Odell and without Odell. So that's why I don't think they tremendously regret that move. The other thing is the individuals that they got in return for Odell Beckham, he was part of that blockbuster Cleveland deal, which remember was really a joint deal because Olivier Vernon turned out to be a part of that. So Zeitler you got, Jabril Peppers you got, and then the draft picks that are still young and the jury's still out. And we've got to see how those guys pan out before I think you could truly grade that trade. So I don't think they're regretting it at all. I think that they realize if you can maximize Odell, meaning get multiple weapons for him that could help the team, considering there were so many question marks, they looked at that as that's going to help the franchise overall in the big picture. And Odell also dealt with the injury bug. He missed more games than he essentially played. So when you take that into consideration, you take into consideration as good as he was, it wasn't always translating to wins. No, I, I do not think this organization is regretting that move at all. Lance, I got to admit that I had never heard of Patrick Graham before. Where did he come from? That This defense is a whole lot better than people think. Well, it? I absolutely agree with you. I think that he's done a very good job in terms of his play calling. I have to tie this in to myself personally because you brought up Patrick Graham and nobody heard of him. Well, he's a product of the Ivy League, and I, I happen to call Ivy League games for the league as well as Columbia. So I know of him going back in the day when he was a football player at Yale and then, you know, really blossomed out and branched out to opportunities in the NFL. But, you know, this is an individual, keep in mind, that, you know, worked under Bill Belichick for a number of years in New England. So that, first of all, is where he learned the craft and understands the value of maximizing the roster and mixing and matching your coverages. I think that's stating the obvious. He was also in Green Bay, where he was actually with Blake Martinez and Kyler Fackrell for a year. He was the run game coordinator and one of their linebackers coaches. So he worked under Mike Pettin, who's the current Packers defensive coordinator. He went to Miami with Brian Flores, where if you go to last season, Miami certainly struggled from a record standpoint, but those guys fought hard. It's very similar, Doug. It reminds yep. me of the Giants a little bit, where Miami didn't have an overwhelming amount of talent, but you know they were going to be a tough out, meaning they were going to get the most out of that roster from a strategic standpoint. And what he did in Miami, in conjunction with Brian Flores, of course, who deserves a lot of credit, you're seeing that with the Giants. So this is a guy that hasn't made a name for himself because, first of all, his first opportunity to be a true coordinator didn't come until Miami last year. Prior to that, he was a positional coach doing his due diligence. But when you look at who he's learned from and the Belichick coaching tree and the ties to Joe Judge, I don't think it's a surprise that they're maximizing the roster. It's just a matter of now it translating to wins over. Safeties, Logan Ryan and Jabril Peppers are forming something. They look really good back there. Maybe one of the better safety duos in the league. Does it that doesn't surprise, surprise you? me because Ryan turned out to be a very valuable addition. Remember, they drafted Xavier McKinney. People forget, you know, he was their second round pick out of Alabama. And the reason why everybody forgets is because yeah. he got hurt in training camp with a fractured foot. And we haven't seen him on the field yet because it's a notable injury that takes some time to recover. So they needed a guy like Logan Ryan, Doug. They needed to make that acquisition. And here's another guy who has ties to New England, who knows Joe Judge, cross paths with Patrick Graham, and is versatile enough to play corner and safety. The true value of Logan Ryan has been they had Julian Love playing safety at times this year, who was a rookie last year. But when you move Logan Ryan to corner, you need somebody else to play safety. So they move Ryan around because they figure he can adapt better than some of the other players on the roster. But 
I would agree with you. I think the versatility comes to mind. The fact that Graham can put him at safety some games. He can put him at corner other games. Given the injuries, they needed a player like that. And as far as Peppers is concerned, unfortunately, he missed a few games due to injury. But it's the special teams value he brings as a return guy. It's the hustle plays that he makes. You can line him up near the line of scrimmage. You can keep him back as a deep safety. And, yeah, I think that versatility has given Patrick Graham other options at other positions. I certainly think that they have exceeded expectations, the two. I think that's fair. Whether or not that's saying much based on the expectations of the team, I don't know. But I think if you ask the Giants with what they were looking at, at that position going in, which is a lot of youth around Jabril Peppers, to bring in a guy like Logan Ryan, that turned out to be similar to what we were talking about with James Bradbury and Blake Martinez, a real key in helping them keep their head above water, knowing all the youth and injuries they've had around those two guys. Lance, the game was decided by a two-point conversion last time that was entertaining. I suspect it'll be close again this time. Well, you? considering, as I mentioned earlier, Doug, the Giants have played their last five games has been decided by one possession, and the last yep. few games have been decided by three points combined. I would agree with you. Plus, you know, divisional games, these teams tend to be familiar with one another. It's the little things. And, and what happened in the first game? I remember we were having a conversation, and I said, Doug, this is going to be defined in the trenches. Well, what happened? The Giants got a defensive touchdown because they got to Kyle Allen. They forced the fumble. Tate Crowder returned it for a score. And then they were able to protect Kyle Allen enough to get that late touchdown and ultimately didn't convert on the two-point conversion. So I'm really turning to the same keys here. I think turnovers, playing the trenches is going to determine this game. And if Daniel Jones continues the consistent issue, unfortunately, of turning the ball over and Washington could capitalize, that could certainly be a difference maker. Same thing can be said for Kyle Allen. I agree with you. I think this is going to be a highly contested game. And those little nuances, the penalties and the turnovers, when it's all said and done, are going to lead to field positioning, which happened in the first game. And that, to me, is going to be the X factor. Lance, thank you so much for giving us some time again. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Always enjoy talking football with you. Appreciate the back and forth. And a pleasure having myself on the program. Thanks so much for allowing me to do that. Appreciate it. Yep. Lance Meadow, everybody.